Hey, good evening, everybody. I am Miguel, joined here today with Jay Klaus and Armando Raggio. We are The Future Belongs to Creators. Today, we are going to be talking about how could you make a living through sponsorships? And we're going to talk about a little bit about kind of what sponsorships are, how you can get them, and just, just a roundabout way of just saying, instead of necessarily selling a product, which you can definitely do that, of course, there are other ways to make money as a creator. So we're going to chat about that. How are you doing, guys? Doing great, Miguel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. So um, we're going to do things a little bit differently today because uh, just a heads up, Jay has a, a hard out in 30 minutes. So I want to make sure that he gets a chance to shout out something he's doing. So usually we would shout out at the end, but we're going to start with our shout out. So I want to make sure Jay has a chance to chat about what he is up to. Jay, tell us a little bit about it. Hey, I'll keep it super short and sweet. For the last two years, I've been doing a podcast called Creative Elements, where I interview some of today's top creators about how they make a living with their art and creativity. The audio show has done really well. This week, we launched the video show on YouTube, which is super exciting. So if you search Creative Elements, you'll be able to find that. And as luck would have it, episode one is with Justin Moore, who's a sponsorship coach, and we talk about how to land brand deals. So it'll be a great follow-up to this conversation. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. And that just happened to work out perfectly that you guys are talking about sponsorships too. So if you've looked at the uh, the YouTube channel at all, you can tell that Jay has dialed in not just the microphone, which sounds amazing, but also the, the video look. So it's a good looking channel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely professional. As opposed to me Thanks, guys. sitting in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really pretty kitchen. So, you know, do with that what you will. Real quick, before we dive into sponsorships and our main topic, we like to do a little thing called Have You Heard, which is just a little kind of something interesting that's happening in the news. Sometimes it's something obvious, sometimes not. I'm bringing out something obvious. So obviously, I'm assuming most people have heard about the whole Elon Musk Twitter thing. Well, the latest development on that is that Twitter is kind of pissed because... uh, Elon is trying to back out of that deal, partly, I think, because I think he was trying to say that that uh, Twitter doesn't have a lot of good information on bot accounts and a lot of the users on, on Twitter are actually bots and not people. And it's more than Twitter is letting on, which obviously isn't a good thing for him to say about that company because Twitter d- depends on a lot of ad revenue. And if advertisers are having a reason to believe that your ads are not being watched by human beings, but just mostly bot accounts, or at least a higher number than you're letting on, then that sort of causes you to pull back a little bit as far as how much you're going to pay to put ads on a platform. So he's kind of trashing Twitter, which makes their valuation go down. Plus this whole deal is making the valuation go down. And he doesn't want to buy it because now it's worth less than the offer that he put in. So it's a little bit like torpedoing a ship that you're trying to take over. I don't quite understand it, but yeah, that's what's going on. What do you guys think about that? All 17 of my bot accounts have covered this. So (laughs) pretty wild. Yeah. He petitions the information from Twitter so that he can buy it. And supposedly they didn't give the information that he wanted. And now Twitter is suing him to buy it after they didn't want him to buy it in the first place. And in the lawsuit, (laughs) They'll probably have to give him whatever information they can that they weren't before because now they have like the burden of proof. So, yeah, pretty wild. I just hope that Twitter continues to be like a fun place for me to hang out. That's all I care about. Yeah, that's 
pretty crazy. Well, we could go on a rabbit hole down that thing, but I don't want to talk about Elon Musk anymore. Uh, Armando, you said you had something that you wanted to bring up. What do you got, man? This is not necessarily new, but it is interesting and you can find it out there. And I think it really relates to the greater economy. It's Paul Sappho. You have to Google this. And it's actually a seven-year-old video that he did for the Long Now Foundation back in 2015. And he was talking specifically about the creator economy. And what I love about this video is that he talks about the different kind of economies and, and how they emerge to address some shortage in the economy. And he thinks the creator economy is really here to address engagement. And that what creators really do better than anything else is create one-to-one relationships, engage people in the way that uh, you know, the consumer economy is no longer able to because of all of the information, the ability to ad block, all of those things in combination. So it's a really interesting video. And I think if you are a creator, it helps to understand how important you are as an engine of the current economy. So I love it. I think, I don't know if I can paste this in the chat for everybody. Let me grab a link. I don't know if that's even helpful, but uh, I'll drop it there to the comment, everybody, in case. I feel like this is part of something that I see, which is it's really easy to have a blind spot on historical context and historical ideas. Like we're so caught up in the now and we're looking at, well, what are people talking about now as it relates to the creator economy? But it's really interesting to look back. And even if people were using slightly different words and different language to talk about the creator economy, to look back and see how they were predicting things and actually look at the trend line and say, like, has this played out? What can we learn from this? Because something that I think about a lot, creators aren't new in a lot of senses. You know, comedians, musicians, these types of creators have been around forever and they were building businesses in a very similar way. So there's a lot we can learn by looking backwards more, I think. It's really interesting that like the, the age that we're in, that you can tell we're still really trying to figure it out in a lot of ways, because before, you know, if you were a creator, let's take the example of a musician as a creator, you're creating something, you're making something, but your problem is reach and your problem is distribution. And I can't imagine how many fantastic songs have been written that no one will ever hear because that person didn't have the benefit of having an agent that got them on the radio or happened to be found out in a club by uh, some producer that happened to be there or something like that. So a lot of people, it's just this marriage of like, yeah, your content is is good or even great, but there's a lot of really okay stuff out there that is really popular because of that balance. They they really have a lot of reach. So it's just really interesting that now in the age of, of the internet where we can like empower ourselves to do some of that outreach ourselves. It's really cool to see what people are doing with it. You know, people that do the SoundCloud thing as opposed to like getting signed by by Virgin Records or something like that. So yeah, it's an interesting industry because there were kingmakers, you know, like people could make choices that change people's lives from a reach perspective. But there have always been indie artists too, who just tour all year long and they're going to Boise and They have a piece of paper and people come up and put their name on the paper. They add them to the email list and then they come back to Boise a year later and a few more people are in the crowd. You know, like it's not that different in a lot of ways, especially on the indie side of things. But you can learn a lot, too, from the the label side of things. You know, in the creator economy today, there are still people who can make choices to put you in front of large audiences, you know, at the snap of a finger. 
And that may be good. There's another aspect to it too, I think. It actually kind of goes back to the first thing we started with, which was Twitter and, and Elon Musk, is that right now there are also some platforms that are effectively, I don't know if I want to call them kingmakers, but they're in there. And there's this, this interesting balance, I think. I'd love to hear Jay's thought on this, where those platforms both enable the creator and hinder the creator, in a sense. I think enable in terms of building an audience, but right now hinder perhaps in some of that monetization and making a living. I think it's true of any platform, really. You know, as I'm venturing onto YouTube, I'm getting a lot of very kind, very generous, very well-meaning feedback uh, about the first interview we put up there, about aspects of it that are not optimized for the YouTube algorithm. Well, to be honest, the 60-minute interview is not optimized for the YouTube algorithm, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So you're always making choices as, as a creator. How much am I willing to bend my art around the constraints of a thing that's fickle and always changing versus... How much am I going to make the thing that I want to make and then make some small tweaks to try and give it the best shot with this? But we can't completely bend to a thing that doesn't know we're bending to it and can change at any minute. That's well said. So in order to pivot us to our main topic today, which is sponsorships, one of the reasons that I asked Armando to come on here, and then he suggested that you come on here, is because whether or not people have heard, so ConvertKit is starting an initiative to something that we're calling the Sponsorship Network. And I wanted you guys to, well, specifically Armando right now, chat a little bit about, first of all, I know you told me before we got started that you've never been this excited about anything you've ever done, I mean, professionally. So that's a really great thing to hear. So I was wondering what's making you so excited about it? And also, why should creators be excited about it? Well, first of all, I'll say, if you can tell from the beard, my career has been long, (laughs) but uh, it is really super exciting. And the reason that I love it is because I am already seeing the ability to impact the amount of money that a creator makes. Like I am already putting money in creators' pockets in ways that that make me feel good about the job that I do. Um, You know, our purpose is to help creators earn living online. And I've gotten to see that happen in real time, right? I've been able to message someone and say, Hey, I just put a thousand or a few thousand dollars into your, uh, you know, commerce account on ConvertKit. And so that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about it. And then that is really contagious. They're excited about it. Brands are excited to work with us. So let let me try to give you the elevator pitch, if you will. Okay. Essentially, what we have done, as we work with creators, we realized that there was this opportunity around sponsorship. A significant number of creators earn perhaps even the lion's share of their income from sponsorship. And ConvertKit was helping with products and helping stay engaged with your audience, but we weren't helping with this. So uh, earlier this year, we tried a pilot program with a few creators it went well for us. We realized that this was a service that we could provide. It would give some real meaning and some real revenue to creators. And so at the Craft and Commerce event, we opened this up. It's been, I think, 11 days since we announced it. And about 400 creators have applied to the program. And basically, we're going to act as an agent for these creators. We will represent their newsletters get information about their topic, their audience, et cetera, and basically sell sponsorships on their behalf to brands. And we have over 50 brands that have also applied to be part of the network. They're interested in connecting with 
creators and they have a problem. Their challenge is that in order for them to discover all of these creators, it's a lot of work. It's like Miguel, to your point earlier about the independent musician who might not have an agent out there helping them find a record label. Well, record labels are looking, but it's a lot of work. So what we're, you know, what we're able to do with them is we're able to bring them a grouping of creators that all have audiences that can help that brand and that brand is willing to invest. So hopefully that explains it, but effectively we are acting as an agent for the creator and then sharing that information with select brands. And we're getting very well-known brands to come to the network. And so that's why I'm excited. Hope that that helps. So we're looking at that from the value from a creator standpoint. Can you talk a little bit about why this is really appealing for a brand to be a part of this? Why why bring in a middleman? What benefit does that give, say, uh, an Athletic Greens or Casper Mattresses or whatever to get ConvertKit involved in something that used to be just between them and the creator? Well, the reality is it is scale. So let me take one step back, though, before I answer that scale point is that there's also a lot of value here. So if you think about these companies, they could choose, frankly, to buy ads on the Meta platform or on Google. And frankly, they do. But they know that the creators have a special relationship with their audiences that is not replicated on Facebook, frankly. And by advertising with the creator, the brands believe, and I think this is true, that a little bit of trust is passed from the creator to the audience regarding that brand. And that's true because the creators are more selective. Every creator in the network has the opportunity to choose which sponsors they will work with. In a few cases, we're sending out some samples of products to make sure that the, the creator wants to work with that sponsor. So there is that extra value for the brand. In addition, it's really difficult to find creators. If you are a brand looking for independent creators, you literally will have to go and communicate with dozens or hundreds of people to find the ones that you want to work with. Each individual person then you must negotiate a rate with. You must go through their process, which is different. I've happened to work with Jay a little bit, so I know his process is amazingly good. He has his whole business up on Notion and it's really clear. I've worked with some other creators who this is all completely ad hoc. So from the standpoint of the brand, they're having to hold a whole bunch of different negotiations. They're trying to communicate about what are the specs for the ad, what material do we need, et cetera. So when ConvertKit comes in, there's a proposal that I have going out right now that has about 30 newsletters on it. The, the brand is going to be able to be in all of those 30 newsletters. They have one point of contact for negotiation, one point of contact for materials, one point of contact for reporting. Oh, and by the way, I'm reporting exactly what's happening on the ConvertKit platform. They can trust the staff that I'm giving. So I think if I summarize that, one, there's just a ton of value in advertising, promoting, sponsoring creators. Two, I'm discovering creators for them, if you will. I'm helping them discover. I'm acting as a single point of contact for the negotiation and the, the ad creative. And then I'm a very trustworthy, if you will, and I'm standing in here for the ConvertKit network, but a very trustworthy reporter of stats. So those are the reasons that a brand wants to be in this network. You mentioned uh, uh, Jay is someone that you've worked with. Jay, I imagine that the reason that you probably are one of Armando's star 
pupils, I guess, to work with. Not pupils. He's, he's the teacher. <laughs> oh, sorry, teacher. One of the, one of the star contacts, let's say, is because Jay. I imagine that this system that you built came out of a necessity because you probably have maybe I'm guessing have had some not so great interactions when it comes to sponsors or getting paid or actually it came out of necessity. Yes. But mostly out of necessity of creators like me, we're often very small teams. And for me, it's me and some contractors. We want to be able to strap on these revenue opportunities to our businesses but everything you strap on has some amount of overhead cost, mostly in my time. So I build systems to basically get the amount of time that I have to do to manage things as low as possible. So actually, the, the timing was very fortuitous because I had begun this newsletter sponsorship program maybe a month before Armando and I began talking about it. And I had a basic landing page about here are the terms, here are the statistics that you can expect. I actually used screenshots from my ConvertKit account to <laughs> try to have this trustworthy data reporting to show like, here's the engagement on my subscribers, here's how many subscribers that I have, and did a whole bunch of duct tape with a calendar tool, Notion, Zapier, like the system works, but it was difficult to set up. And I wouldn't expect a lot of people to be able to set it up or want to maintain it. But, you know, for me, I was able to and it decreased the amount of time required because that's what we're looking for. You know, we want to be able to leverage the platforms that we've built the best way that we can. And the less time that we have to spend on administrative management reporting type activities so that we can focus on creating really great work for our audience, the better, you know, because a lot of us got here because our customer, quote unquote, is our audience and we want to serve them and do by right by them. The more time you spend focusing on sponsor negotiation, administration, you start to get confused as to who you're serving and it can get the flywheel in the wrong direction. So yeah, yeah it's helpful to, to work with somebody to make all that streamlined, to make sure everybody's winning and allow us to have as much time as possible to foster the audience and continue to build that relationship. Yeah. I really like that point that you bring up. The, the more time that you're spending being the businessman, Jay, is the less time you get to be creator, Jay. Totally. And then the, you start putting a lot of your time and energy into, because at the end of the day, you do want to make money from the work that you do. So obviously that's important, but uh, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? So totally. at some point you can, I can imagine you can get burnt out if you don't, I mean, you mentioned you use contractors, right? That's just an example of you outsourcing some of your work that technically you, you could do all that stuff. Like you can do it, you know how to do it, but it's just a matter of, does it make sense for you to spend hours doing X when you probably should be focusing on being a creator? And I know a lot of creators who have a contractor who is specifically and only tasked with sponsor relations, managing creative and things for the advertising that happens in newsletters or on YouTube or whatever, because it is a significant lift. And so working with Armando and the, the ConvertKit sponsor network has been fantastic because it's as if I have that person, but uh, fee I pay them is based on performance. You know, it's a revenue share. So yeah, it's been a really great arrangement. Yeah. So Armando, back to you. I have a question. The sponsorship network, just to be clear for everybody, this, at least for now, there is a threshold that you have to be right in order to qualify for the network. So can you talk a little bit about why that is and... Um, 
maybe speak a little bit to the creators out there who, if they don't meet that threshold, what does that mean for them? And maybe Jay, you can talk about this a little bit too, is obviously people are aspiring to have a bigger audience and a bigger list. This is obviously another reason to want that because you have to have a certain amount of subscribers in order to qualify for the sponsor network. So can you talk about that a little bit, Armando? So for the ConvertKit sponsor network, you have to have approximately 10,000 subscribers or more. You have to send an editorial newsletter weekly or more frequently. And you have to have good engagement with your audience. The main reason that we've chosen those is because we want to be effective both for the creator. And in order to do that, we have to be effective for the brand. And those are going to be things that are very effective for brands who are working on these kinds of sponsorship deals. If you think about the market for newsletters, I'm going to divide it into three. There is a group that is emerging. They're below the 10,000 in subscriber count. They've got a great audience. They're growing fast. For folks in that space, I would encourage them to keep growing. There are ways to get revenue. There are services out there that are actually kind of like a, a buy and sell marketplace where you can offer up what inventory you have and sponsors can buy into this. I don't know if it's actually official yet, so hopefully I won't get in trouble with this, but Sparkloop, for example, is about to launch a partner marketplace. Hopefully Louis is not watching this and I didn't just let something out of the bag. (laughs) They have a great idea where they're creating a marketplace where you can help to grow each other's audiences. So this is perfect, in my opinion, for someone who's not yet to 10,000 subscribers. It gives them the ability to sell some of their inventory and generate some revenue. And frankly, on the other side, to go ahead and also buy a little bit and help to get uh, their growth. And and that's just one example of those networks. They're uh, less work than going out and selling it directly, especially if your list is still growing. But they are a way to get revenue. When you get to that 10,000, you sort of unlock the next level of being able to approach brands. The the audience size is sufficient for them to invest in. And that's where the ConvertKit network comes in. We're going to make those relationships for you. You apply to the network at uh, convertkit.com slash sponsor. And you know we onboard you and then we start to sell that space. And very rapidly, we can generate some revenue. There's also a third, frankly. If you get to a massive, massive, massive list, there's going to be a place where the economics do make sense to have probably your own sales team. Very few creators. These are like the superstar creators that we could all you know sort of name. But that's kind of the market shape. And the ConvertKit... Sponsor network is right there in the middle. And we're in the middle because that's where we can have the most impact given the resources that we have today. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that, actually. So so I imagine the way that it looks, correct me if I'm wrong, as far as the market share goes, you have a sliver of smaller size list creators, and then you have a small sliver of like your giant accounts, your, your Tim Ferriss's, et cetera. And then... I imagine the vast majority of everybody is kind of somewhere in that middle chunk. So from a company that wants to sponsor somebody, why do they want that middle chunk as opposed to going after the Tim? I mean, I'm sure they're going for the Tim Ferriss too and all that, but why are they also interested in somebody that has 10,000 subscribers for like a company like Peloton or something that that seems kind of small, right? All you have to do is see Jay's engagement to know that that's not true, right? So... Jay, maybe talk about your newsletter because it's, frankly, ConvertKit has purchased a couple of spots in Jay's newsletter because we love it. And then um, 
we've sold a, uh, several for him, a few for him, and we're selling some more for him. But his newsletter is easy because he has a very specific audience and he has uh, great engagement. Jay, comment to that before you have to leave us. Yeah, I think what you mentioned earlier, Armando, about like the editorial nature of the creators you're trying to speak to is really important because we're we're in a moment or maybe we're just beyond the moment of curated newsletters being really popular. And those are really valuable. People appreciate them. They get a lot out of them. But in my experience, you build relationships and trust with an audience faster with editorial. Like it's more of your perspective. So they get to decide more quickly and more reliably. Do I align with this person, their their mindset and what they have to say? Do I want their advice and recommendations on things? My newsletter has been editorial since 2017. It's a lot of me writing about my experience, synthesizing what I'm learning from other creators on the podcast and writing for five plus years and sharing my perspective weekly, if not twice weekly. I've built a good relationship with a, a lot of my readers. And so they take my recommendations seriously. Honestly, a lot of readers just want to support me. ConvertKit has the tip jar feature. That's something that people use to support the creators they really appreciate. And when there's a win-win alignment of, wow, this recommendation, this sponsor fits what I'm looking for right now. It seems like Jay's behind it. So choice is easy. People act on that. Jay's about to leave us. So before you go, Jay, I want to give you the chance to say the the final the final word, at least on, on your piece, about how important that engagement is. Because obviously, list size is one thing, but we're also one of the things that we're looking at is engagement, obviously. So for a creator out there who's trying to get to 10,000, so obviously the number of subscribers is important, but also the, also the quality is important too, right? So you could have 15,000 subscribers and have a 9% open rate. Mm-hmm. That's not so great, right? So is there a, some advice you would give oh, yeah. to grow your audience in a way that is of quality, not necessarily quantity? I know there's some current controversy around open rates because of like the new Apple device settings. They're not as perfectly accurate as we'd like them to be, but there's still a good directional gauge. Really look at your open rate, look at your click-through rates, look at the incredible graph that ConvertKit gives of like your one through five star ratings to show your engagement. I'm always looking at that graph and I want it to be almost just like a skyscraper. You know, I want like nothing and then everybody's five stars. (laughs) Now that's not (laughs) practical. There's going to be some curve, but... My list is getting towards 14,000 subscribers now. And I've seen a little bit of a bump towards the other, the bottom end of that curve. And what I do every 90 to 120 days or so is I will send a re engagement campaign to say, Hey, do you still want to be on this list? Do I mistake you for someone who is reading, but for some reason I'm not showing your opens? And if not, like it's okay to unsubscribe from this list. In fact, if you do not engage with this email, I will unsubscribe you on your behalf because I like to keep my list really clean in that way. And so it's not all a numbers game. Don't optimize for that 10,000 number at the sake of having low quality subscribers. As much as I grow every month, every 90 to 120 days, like I said, I also intentionally reduce my number of subscribers by some hundreds or maybe even a thousand plus. And I think that's a worthwhile exercise. And you do that for a period of years. And that list that you have is highly engaged. They trust you. They want to read what you say and they want to take action on it. That's really cool. I love that approach. But uh, I won't keep you any longer. I know you've got somewhere else to be and we're already keeping you longer than we should have. But 
Thanks very much for coming, Jay. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good uh, rest of your chat. And thanks, Armando, for the opportunity to be on the network. Absolutely. Pleasure. All right. And then there were two. There's something that Jay was talking about that caught me thinking. So, all right, let's say I have 20,000 subscribers. My open rate is, click-through rate is not as high as I'd like it to be. So percentage-wise, the amount of people that are actually seeing my content of that 20,000 and uh, shakes out, let's say it's 10%. So obviously, the amount of people that are looking through my 20,000 list is about 4,000 people. Now, let's say I have a list of 9,000 people, but uh, or even 8,000 people, but I have almost a 50% open and click rate. I have the same amount of eyeballs with a much smaller list. Is that something that the sponsorship network considers when looking at candidates? Or is it kind of a hard stop at that 10,000 or more? The 10,000 more is a guideline for us. And in the application, we are looking at creators and looking at their accounts. The engagement graph that Jay mentioned is really important because the brands themselves differ on how they value the open rate. Uh, there are some brands who that's still very important to. There are others that do not believe it's a great metric now. And it's not our job at ConvertKit to try to tell them what we think is the uh, you know the orthodox position on how iOS 15 impacted uh, email open rate, <laughs> right? So, but but the graph they all love, right? Because that's a graph that tells me how engaged the audience is over time, not just you know the open rate for recent broadcasts or even all broadcasts. So that's a long-winded way of saying that if you have a ton of engagement and you're on that threshold, you know certainly apply. And then we're going to go ahead and take a look at that. The other thing that we're doing just because we're getting started is the sponsors do want to see groupings of newsletters, right? It is to your point earlier about, you know, does a large well-known brand want to buy an audience of 10,000, so to speak, or a sponsor an audience of 10,000. The way that we can make that answer yes is that I can show them 10 newsletters. And so now it's an audience of 100,000 or or 200,000. And it really does start to make economic sense for them to target that. So we were looking at those creators who have applied, we're working through them and we're trying to organize them into topical groups that we can then share with brands together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I remember you, you mentioned this at Craft and Commerce to me, but I thought it was such an astronomically unfathomable number that I'd like you to repeat it here. How much money are people, companies spending on sponsorships for creators? Like how big is this market? So there's a couple of reports out there that talk about this market. And, and we're talking about as the influencer market, but it's about $16 billion in the United States. Jeez Louise. So I remember you saying like, so even if like, if ConvertKit as an agent can help our creators capture even 1% of that. Yeah. That is a hilarious amount of money to give to creators. It is. This is a rapidly growing space. And we're trying to help creators get their fair share of it. Platforms take a lot of this right now. And by platforms, I do mean some social media networks, particularly. But we're trying to put that dollars, those dollars in creators' hands. And it is a it's a massive amount of money. If we could help our creators, like you said, get to 1% of $16 billion, that is still a very large number. Because 10%, right, is is 1.6 billion. So 1%, if I'm doing my math on the fly here, is like $100 million. Am I wrong on that? But yeah. That sounds about right. Yep. On the fly math is a really good way to um, sound silly, but that sounds right to me. (laughs) 
Here's the, the beauty of it. I'm, I do things that make me sound silly all day long, every day. So it's not really going to be any different. All right. So this is, this is common ground then. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I've honestly taken pride in the fact that as a podcast, we, you know, mentioned ConvertKit, obviously, because it has a lot of context to this work, but I try really hard to make sure that this podcast is not some kind of like commercial for ConvertKit. Like we just want to be here for creators and talk about creator things. It's never like a, hey, go try ConvertKit. Like that's not what this is about. So I was on the fence about even talking about this, but at the end of the day, I really think it's important for creators to know that there are lots of options available out there to them in order to monetize what they do. And sure, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that ConvertKit, obviously this is a business, so we do make money by doing this. But the way that we've structured this is to make sure that, like you said before, like that's we're not getting the lion's share of that money, the creators are. And the way we make our money is by doing this for a lot of people. And so it's a, so the, the more we do this for creators, the more financial sense it makes for us, but we're not taking a big cut out of this for them to be an agency essentially for them. So I hope people don't feel like they're being heavily pitched to here. I just really wanted it to be informative for creators to understand that this is a very much a viable space to be in. And sometimes people can feel a little down in the dumps because maybe they're not making money being a creator or the numbers aren't working out the way that they had hoped. And it can be a grind sometimes. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm super excited about what we're doing. So it's hard for me to contain that excitement. But there are definitely, even if creator isn't on ConvertKit, or there's truthfully going to be some markets, some topics that aren't going to be a good fit for what ConvertKit is doing. That doesn't mean that the creator should not try to pursue this space. There, there are clearly brands that want to work with creators and there are more than, there's more than one way to do this. There are other agencies out there that can do it. You can do this yourself. Jay has been doing a good job of it. He's starting to work with us, obviously, but he's uh, been doing a great job of this and is an example. There are other examples out there. So maybe as balance, just say the, the real message here is as a creator, don't leave sponsorship money on the table, if you will. There's an opportunity here. The content that you create has value. And working with sponsors that have products you love, who are also willing to help you make a living and continue to create is something you should pursue. Yeah, no, I know some people might also feel like sponsorship is in a way selling out because, oh, well, now my weekly newsletter, which used to be nice and clean, has some sort of ad in it or whatever. And that, you know, in, in a way can feel like you're kind of selling out in a way. But I do want to point out that, like you said before, people have a say and what they decide to be sponsored by. So it's if it's something that's in alignment with what you're doing with, with your business or with your morals or whatever it is, like nobody's forcing something on you that you don't think that your audience would actually get something out of. Like if I'm a, a blog about design, they're not necessarily going to force you to do a newsletter that has an ad in there about, God, I don't know, sneakers or something that has nothing to do with what you're doing. So you get a say in what you're pitching because ultimately you're transferring that goodwill, if you will, that you have with your audience for that product. The other thing I'd say is that all of us have products that we use and love and we share those in our own lives. One of the interesting things, this is a, a very expensive part of it for me, but I've been out 
talking to brands to try to bring them into the network and their products. I've actually become a customer of four of the brands <laughs> that I tried to call in, right? So one of them is a task management tool called Sensama. I started talking to them. I'm a paid subscriber. There's literally a chocolate company that I now have chocolate in my fridge from. <laughs> so the point being, you know, in our lives, we want to use software. We want to use products. And so often, the products that I end up liking the best are the ones that have been recommended to me by someone I trust. That's really what this is analogous to. And like I said, I've literally become a customer for some of the brands that I'm bringing into the network because they have really good stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's a good place to leave it. Armando, thanks for coming. And thanks again to Jay, who's not here anymore, but uh, he was here earlier. So I really appreciate him coming on. If people want to learn more about the sponsorship network, the simplest way for me, I think, is you could just, if you Google ConvertKit sponsor network, it'll probably be right there. So that might be the easiest thing to do. But if there's a, a link that you know of off the top of your head, Armando, that people should check out. Yeah, it's just convertkit.com slash sponsor. There it is. Easy as that. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening in today. We'll see everybody next week. We'll be talking about design with my friend Morgan and David, who are also on the ConvertKit team. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.